Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Holograms, 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 holograms. Welcome to SyrupCast episode 29 for this, the third week in January, January 23rd. We welcome back to the podcast after a brief bout with the flu, Douglas Soltis. How are you, sir? Kyle Lowry, hashtag NBA ballot. That's how I'm doing. Back in form, I see. Back in form, not talking about tech, because basketball is everything. (laughs) <laughs> Raptors have been sucking lately. We'll talk about that later. Oh, However, first, Jane McIntaggart, how are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very uh, good. Feeling much better. Thank you, everybody, for putting up with my disgusting sniffles last week on the pod. I listened to it yesterday, and while I'm not entirely free of them, I feel a lot better. That's good. Uh, they did come across uh, quite well. Uh in my in my ears um was it this the podcast this, this kyle person like, did he cure you it was very sibilant did this kyle sibilants. did this kyle guy cure you uh no kyle did not uh the raptors um the raptors didn't they didn't manage to save this kyle uh, guy whatever if i saw him on the street i would be like excuse me sir you're very tall and i can't see <laughs> like i would that's how little i would care who he is like i would not, not know tall. him yeah he's actually he's like six tall? feet tall yeah He's really that's taller than I am. It's true. I still wouldn't be able to see it. If, yeah, if my emotions towards Kyle, what's his name, would be most strong in a cinema if I was seated behind him. Other than that, I, yeah. So in other but words, he sounds like he's magical. feel like going to see movies with NBA stars. All stars. Um, I probably would if I could sit next to them. <laughs> Share a, share a, a Mountain Dew? Um, I think at that point I would expect my own Mountain Dew. Yeah. The important if thing he's here... he's a gentleman, is that we're back part- and we're healthy. Yeah. Back and healthy, thanks and to the Toronto Raptors. We got our sweater game and our collared sweater game on lock. Uh, yes. The collared sweater game... I don't know about this. I, I, put, I put it on. Um, this is sure the perfect the time to discuss this. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what? I mean, blue and green. Like, I thought it would go well, but I... I'm oh, no. Don't you know the it. rhyme? Blue and no, green should never be seen. No, no, no. It's really? Good. They're, not, they're not primary uh, complementaries. They're, like, tertiary. So it's, like, a nice, even hue Yeah, balance. but I was always told it's blue and green should never be seen because you're not supposed to wear them together. So I for bet... everybody who's listening and can't see what I'm wearing, because that's <laughs> probably the majority of you, I'm wearing a navy blue uh, collared shirt with a v-neck... Forest uh, green, green wool sweater, hmm. uh, both of which were purchased from Uniqlo because Uniqlo is the only place to buy clothes uh, when you're Canadian. Yeah, and uh, hmm. you go to the to the U.S. and you binge buy on 
Japanese clothing. To do with, yeah, Japanese clothing. Uh, but but we we should probably talk about tech because that's why you're listening. Let's talk uh, about Microsoft. So this week, Microsoft unveiled more details about Windows 10 and specifically what that entails for phones. Windows 10 will be coming to phones, and the company promises many more apps thanks to a new universal app policy. They're also promising you know, cross-platform compatibility uh, with Xbox, Windows, Windows uh, for phones, and they're dropping Windows Phone entirely. The, the branding of Windows Phone is disappearing. But the biggest news was not that Windows 10 would be coming to phones, but that Microsoft would be releasing something called the HoloLens, an augmented reality eyepiece or headpiece that is uh, that promises to uh, let us interact with the real world uh, with a sort of 3D accompaniment. Uh, if, if you followed what we talked about at CES with the Sulon Cortex, the HoloLens sounds very similar to that. Guys, what did you take away from this? Is anything was some, was this sort of uh, vaporware for you? You think it'll come to market and disappoint the way the Kinect did, or do you think the HoloLens and whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. Microsoft Holographic has shots some fired at potential? Kinect? <laughs> yeah, I was like, rewind. Biggest thing this week is that Daniel thinks the Kinect is a disappointment. Um, what? It, it absolutely is a disappointment. Connect was an utter disappointment to the point that from a Microsoft consumer actually, standpoint, but developers no, from Microsoft's own standpoint, they fucking excuse me, they effing hype check swearing. They actually ju- dropped um, the requirement for Connect. That's because people thought it was too expensive. But you're forgetting the fact that when they launched the the Xbox One. Um, I nearly said Xbox 460 when they launched the Xbox One. They it was like mad expensive, and everyone was like, "Why? Why can't you unbundle them?" And they were saying, "We believe the Connect is integral to the experience, and that's why we're making people buy it because we feel like the Xbox One experience without Connect is is sucky, sucky." And yeah, I think developers did amazing. Yeah, but they did they weren't happy about it. Um, I think that developers did do amazing things with Connect. And I think they maybe don't. there's nothing zero zero games on the on the Xbox. I'm not talking about games. Of Connect. I'm well, talking about developers using it like Connect and PC. Okay, but that's completely different. Like Connect in like is, medicine and architecture and all these different kinds of industries, which yeah, is what sure, they assume. Cons- Connect they, was okay. Promised. Okay, we could we can talk about Microsoft's gaming strategy and Connect and Xbox for like hours on a totally different podcast but i think this is maybe to put it in context reflective of microsoft has a very interesting and one might say spotty history of taking big swings at hardware that sometimes delivers and sometimes doesn't is this a piece of hardware that will be um something that delivers or half delivers and when it when it comes to this new vertical of vr you, you kind of can't half deliver. That said, every every tweet from a tech person um, that I saw uh, who was at the Microsoft event who spent time with this said it was amazing. And, like, amazing and mind-blowing to the extent that, I think, Daniel, you said the uh, Sulon Cortex was when you saw it at CES. Oh, yeah. I think... So, 
going back to the Kinect for just a second, um, I don't think Kinect was a failure. I think that Microsoft gave up on it too quickly because of I consumer agree. sentiment. Point. But I think that, that being this is said, um, point of the same I think thing. it's an amazing piece of technology. Yeah. It also prevents their Xbox One hardware from doing what it needs to do to compete against the PS4. But, um, right, okay, so a then, whole other mess up. So, th- so then that's, that's a thing, right? Microsoft has a tendency to give up on... Uh, to make big bets and then pull those bets back, uh, say mobile being one potentially, uh, gaming maybe being another, uh, and they have a new CEO, and then they also have a, the ability to maybe design cool kit that doesn't have the full support and full ecosystem around it to really be successful. So, right. does that make you like it's cool that Microsoft is doing like you're like hey we're going to talk about tech because that's what we do, and then the first thing you said was Microsoft, and for people of a certain generation maybe just younger than us. Microsoft is not really ever equated with tech, <laughs> unless you're talking about the oh, Xbox. I disagree. So it's oh. it's cool to see them doing this stuff. I just do they need to be doing it? Yeah, but I mean, think about Connect for a second and how um, you know a lot of gaming, a lot of pieces of technology like Oculus, um, like Connect, start out from a gaming framework because it's easy to market and then they mm-hmm. expand so what jane mentioned about how amazing connect is um, in the medical space uh that's similar to vr in general right vr has been touted as a way to improve you know the the immersive consumer experience but i think in the long run as we saw from you know the google glass announcement that they're sort of um that they're shutting down the explorer program i think it's more appropriate for an enterprise market and for and I, I think um, you know the Hololens is a looks like an amazing piece of of technology. It really has the potential, if marketed in ways that Google Glass wasn't, to make an impact on both the consumer and the enterprise side. But they didn't. They they mentioned gaming almost not at all during that that yeah. keynote too. They said you know, yeah, it'll be great for gaming, but not, that aside, it's also going to be. You know, we can teach surgeons how to perform surgeries without them ever having to touch a body, you know, or body mm-hmm. parts or, you know, have to cut somebody open. We can, you know, you know, people can, like, you know, engineers can design buildings and bridges and all this kind of stuff without, with, you know, less risk involved and this kind of stuff. So that they, that was interesting to me is that they barely, they, it sounds like they're going to be like, yeah, 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 Xbox, like, of course, <laughs> whatever, but more everything else, which will be interesting because I think that'll be, that'll be super hard to market. Yeah, but I mean, one of the most interesting demos I read was um, that of Minecraft, right? You know, Microsoft bought the uh, the makers of Minecraft for two and a half billion dollars, and one of the first demos that people got to play with was Minecraft in in virtual reality, which mm-hmm. is sounds amazing for little Gee. kids. That's like the it's literally, yeah. hey, here's your imagination coming to life in front yeah. of your eyes. And parents, <laughs> think about how much time is going to be you know you just put on these glasses and let kids go wild parents are going to be absolutely thrilled with this or terrified depending on the potential yeah hollow babysitter because one of the demos like right on stage when they first did it was they had they had the little dude whose name i can't remember from terry 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 myers and they had him they had a a little little hollow little hollow terry and it was so cute i just want like i want like hollow cats all over my desk (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's coming next. But like Absolutely. really small ones, because I've got a cat on my lap already and it's heavy. Well, that's, that purchase. That, that's an interesting thing, though. Like parents, you know, I think 
are growing up with the reality of their of their children just like learning and adopting screens uh immediately from the get-go and like trying to balance against like them always having a tablet or a phone in front of them but would you be more okay hey ronnie no uh, because with, with them you know participating in the world with like stuff floating in front of it yes and no um on the one hand yeah minecraft cool and they can like play with building blocks that are like as big as they are but then on the other hand i can already see it being used as like you know in like a baby monitoring kind of way it's like oh project yourself like into the room beside your kids so that they will fall asleep and then all you're doing is breeding like a whole generation of kids that are like super needy wow that's super cynical (laughs) what it's true it's the same as those, those baby monitors like the connected home ones like that allow you to like they have like live video feeds and you can sing and you can record songs and like trigger songs that recorded in your voice all you're doing is making them more needy yeah you gotta or you're up. helping them fall asleep without having to be next to them all the time yeah so but helping them sleep if they train. go through a week of anguish because you're not there but then learn to put themselves to sleep they will then grow up to be 40 year old men who can put themselves to sleep and not like yeah what's wrong with being raised like tv like we were yeah uh-huh just Latch park yourself kids. two feet in front of the television set. <laughs> yeah. That well. was not bad for our eyes, as our parents thought. Yeah, they're still round. They're, they're still, still here. I'm still wearing <laughs> glasses, though, so maybe it did do something. Can we go back to the marketing part, though? Because I think Absolutely. with this... I Like, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, you talked about glass. And maybe you mean marketing is in, in terms of finding a, a customer segment and delivering it for them. I don't think the marketing of this stuff is really going to, especially if they're going to be business focused and enterprise focused, is going to be as problematic as making sure that the software and the support is there so and the price point is there so the companies are actually willing to buy this stuff to use it because it provides value. Right. Well, I mean, it depends what developers do with it. it. I think the fundamental, the most important part about this is that it's running Windows 10, which means that um, Microsoft's saying DirectX 12 is going to be optimized for this kind of development. So you can create a video game that will both run on a 2D screen on a Windows PC or an Xbox and with very little work uh, be able to uh, change elements of it to work on the HoloLens. So that's if that's going to be the case, I mean, we have, you know, if you go to Microsoft's HoloLens webpage, you see things like Skype, Netflix... Um, you know, Internet Explorer, you know, Microsoft uh, or Xbox Music, all of these things are presumably going to be launch experiences. So they're clearly already working with developers to make these consumer products happen. Okay, so how much do we buy that? I don't know. I mean, they promised the same with Windows 8, and look how sparse the Windows 8 store is. So I don't know. I think they promised their intention of that with Windows 8, but it wasn't actually true. Just even even with you know, RT, like it wasn't. It just wasn't. Yeah, I'm surrounded by cats. I'm just they're attacking me. <laughs> um, they, they're they're like it's been a while. I guess it's been a while since I potted. So they're just like, what are you doing, human? Um, but yeah, so you know, I think with DirectX specifically, Microsoft has a history of actually making things like they made 3D happen with DirectX. They made that functional and easy. And if if this enables kind of like a responsive design for applications to alternate between 2D and like 3D or like 2D plus environments, that's crazy. But 
there are a, a lot of companies who have released platforms that are like build once, deploy anywhere, and they rarely ever work. And this seems more complex than anything prior. I don't know if it is, though. I mean, I well, want I mean, to know more about it. Certainly, but... As we, you know, Jade and I saw a lot of VR tech at CES, and it's invariably complex. People have a very hard time building spatially aware 3D uh, landscapes. And Sulon brought this, you know, they kept on saying that they were the only ones that used sensors to create virtual rooms using the physical attributes of the space around you, which is super difficult. And Project Tango from Google, Google's um, Project X Labs is also doing the same thing, where you have a tablet with multiple cameras that can basically build these virtual rooms based on your physical place mm -hmm. in the world. Uh, but that's really tough. And Microsoft's claim is that they're going to be able to do this without having to plug into anything else, that it's got its own hardware inside the band, it's got its own cameras, it's got its own sensors, you won't need to have to sync it with any internet service. It's not running in the cloud. This is all, it says lightweight, no cords, no phones, no wires, no tethers. I mean, it, this is a moonshot. This is one of the biggest moonshots I think I've seen in the last five years. It's more of a moonshot than Glass was when it debuted in 2012, because even Google didn't pretend that you didn't need a smartphone in order to take advantage of Glass's best features. Yeah. yeah, but also, and Google was also like, this is very much a work in progress. We don't know what people are going to use it for, but the possibilities are endless. And Microsoft was like, nope, we made it. It's here. Totally. <laughs> now people will develop for it, and it will be amazing. <laughs> well, people did develop for it for a while, and then they figured out that nobody was able no, to I buy it. No, I mean, them. for for for, Go or for Microsoft is saying it's here, and you're going to develop for it, and we're going to sell it, and it's going to be awesome. With Google, they were so... Like they, I guess their pitch for Glass all the time was like, this is very much a, a kind of a work in progress, let's see where it leads thing. Mm. And, you know, we just were excited to see what developers do with it, whereas Microsoft was like, this is what they're going to do. Yeah, Microsoft definitely decided. seems way more fully formed in this announcement. Like, they we're definitely confident. held it yeah. until it was at a point where they could, you know, this isn't, this isn't concept, you know? Can we also talk about how they kept it a secret? Because that's impressive. Legit. Yeah, for very like legit. three Nobody years. Nobody talked. That's insane. I'm, like, so surprised that Steve Ballmer didn't just, like, sweat it out one night. I don't know. Just, or just show up <laughs> to a Clippers tweeted. game wearing one? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Oh, but he it's wasn't interested impressive. in the Clippers back then. At least, that's not what he said. He was, uh, he was still running on stages, shouting yeah. at Holograms! 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm missing. I know what our I know what our lead is going to be. I know. I was saying. I was just listening. I was like, do it again. Uh, One more Stevie time for the pre-roll. Yeah. Uh, amazing. So yeah, I I actually so a lot of there was there have been a lot of documents leaked over the years about like Connect glasses, and I think somebody found a reference to something called Connect Glass back in 2012. So Microsoft's been working on this for a while. Yeah, but it also kind of goes back to what we were saying about Connect and how it was, like, I said that it did really well in these, these industries that weren't gaming and developers. That's where developers really, in my opinion, shined with Connect. It was like, they did amazing stuff. Like, if you go to YouTube mm -hmm. and just, like, Google or just search for it, anything to do with Connect, with, like, medicine or, like, learning to play music or whatever, it's just 
incredible stuff, and that's why I that's probably why Wiker that's why they made that's why they made it for PC. That's why they they gave it PC support. But I think that this is that's probably why this is this product exists, and that's probably why their their presentation focused so little on gaming because they were like, we gave you your shot. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess so, but also Minecraft. <laughs> it comes back to yeah, that. I know some of the most interesting demos around Hololens was, you know, with playing Minecraft on your living room table. But do you think that's right? because that that gives people context that they don't have with regard to other applications? Like, if someone said, like, I don't know, I don't know what other demos they got. I think they got Minecraft and Skype. Was it Minecraft and Skype? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, did they give them any demos? Um, that use the software or the product in a different way. Well, there was a lot of stuff about like motorbikes. <laughs> but that was on stage, though. I don't. The people didn't get to like participate in that themselves. No. I don't know if they did. But I think the Minecraft one is a great one because you're right. It is context. It's something grasped. People have done before. Yeah. Yeah. Like they've done it before and it using like a different medium and a different platform. And, it, and now they're now they're in it. And it has a value proposition associated associated yeah. to it. It's not like okay, Google, let's navigate on a roller coaster and you know, film my life. Yeah, but and, you can't. You can't forget that some of the some of the presentation was dedicated to the NASA uh, NASA partnership, where they're using it as a way to project the uh, Mars rover uh, into people's eyes, so you can see from a first-person perspective what it looks like um, on Mars from the Curiosity rover, which I think is like absolutely crazy cool. And have we not done that already with like a GoPro or something? I feel like that must have been something we've already done. <laughs> That's so old. That's not even <laughs> worth talking about. Looking at Mars from a pers- first-person perspective. Shh, that's so. It's not a first-person perspective. It's the rover perspective. Let's well, no, realistic. I mean, it projects whatever the rover's seeing, which yeah. is essentially a first-person perspective. On a first wheels. rover perspective. It's like three feet tall and on wheels, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay, so it's a first toddler perspective. <laughs> so... We're talking about all the cool hardware techie stuff behind this, behind all the Windows announcements, but uh, I'm still really skeptical about, like, the design implementation part of, forget apps working between, like, two dimensions and three dimensions as holograms, but, like, desktop and mobile. Because while I think functionally getting things to operate across that is very easy. We all know that like mobile apps need to be mobile apps and desktop apps need to be desktop apps. And how much does this help them? Like, I don't want a windows application. I don't want a desktop application running on my phone. You won't. That's not what it's about. This is one of the things that really, I think Microsoft is shooting themselves on the foot with the whole, um, dropping the windows phone branding. Cause they're going. They're calling it like, oh, it's Windows 10 for mobile and small tablets. Windows 10 for mobile and small tablets. And that's they, they said that repeatedly during the presentation. It was driving me crazy because they say that they, they didn't explicitly say it, but there is a distinction because you will get a separate version of Windows running on, ta- on tablets larger than 8 inches and on PCs. And then you will still have their mobile operating system on your phone. From what it's, from what it's looked like to me from the event, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it looked like they basically took Windows 8 in Windows Phone 8 and basically made it play nicer with their desktop OS, which is amazing. And like the integration and, and that kind of those universal apps looked really awesome. And I think they did it really, really well. But I think that people need to remember that it's still a separate OS. Like it's not, 
Windows 10 running on your phone or Windows 10 running on your phone. It's Windows 10 for mobile, which is a very different product. I mean, it looks the same and it plays really well and it's they they work really well together, but they're not the same. And the universal apps, I think, will be a challenge. But the ones that we saw, like Office and stuff, like the Office app, is really similar to the the Office for iPad app, um, the Touch one. And they've like Office. I think it's twenty sixteen. Is it twenty sixteen? Okay. They um they'll it'll it shares a lot of the UI. But what? It, let's talk about non first party apps. Let's talk about third party developers. That's what I mean. It'll be super challenging for for everyone else. But Microsoft has had time to say, like, let's make them all. Let's make them all uh, seamless in terms of their UI and, and make them work really well. But I don't know how how much of a challenge it's going to be for third-party like developers. But beyond the challenge, what's the incentive? Well, the incentive is a much broader market using yeah. half the, half the uh, development costs, right? So uh, Dropbox recently released their first universal um, Windows 8 and Windows Phone 8 app, and it was running the same code base. It's a good example of a developer, Rudy Hewn, who's done tons of third-party apps on Windows Phone. He's probably the best and most well-known third-party Windows Phone developer. He was hired by Dropbox to create this universal app experience. So for Dropbox, there's you know a virtuous circle there because you have people who... Um, you know, don't necessarily want to commit to Windows Phone because the user base is so small. The Windows 8 store is barren, so they need to... It's great to have your product on there, but having to develop two separate versions is a non-starter for most companies, especially the smaller ones. So this incentive to be able to use one code base and deploy across multiple screens is enormous. I mean, it's basically like when Apple announced that they could make universal iPad apps... Um, and you know, work with your iPhone apps. Developers went on like they, um, you know, they went crazy with that. And I think that there's uh, there's good reason to think that with Windows 10, at least they've solved most of those deployment problems. I don't know. I'm not a developer, but from what I understand, development between the two is 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 relatively seamless. Okay, but the iOS developers, like the app. Like, they went crazy because they knew the hardware was going to sell, right? Yeah, but there are plenty of Windows. And the, the thing about this to, that we have to remember is that this universal app policy is going along with free upgrades for everybody running Windows 7, which is a huge percentage of the Windows user base. So with every upgrade from Windows 7 to 10, you'll, you're going to have the Windows Store pre-installed. Mm-hmm. Windows 7 users don't know what the Windows Store is, so they don't understand the benefits of universal apps. And I think with Windows 10, if they do get enough of, uh, if they if they get enough momentum with people upgrading, then I don't see why developers wouldn't start building these universal apps, especially since development costs will be so much lower. No. No, disagree, I'm I'm agree. thinking. I'm thinking. I'm still like I'm I'm with Doug in the sense that I don't know. Um yeah, the development costs will be lower, but I think the major but it's Windows. Yeah, well I think the major appeal will be that it's that it's easier to to swap users back and forth from both platforms. Like anybody using Windows now, that's their incentive to get a Windows phone. Is that all their apps on their computer will work on their phone. 
or will be on their phone, which is what they are going to see it as. So I think that will probably be the, the chief incentive. I don't know about lower development costs. I think it streamlines their mobile strategy. I don't know how significantly it really like improves their offering beyond what they have now. Or or if, if the improvement is enough to really generate interest in like mobile use of Windows. Right. I, I think the takeaway, at least for me, is that it lowers the risks. As you said, yeah. it streamlines their mobile strategy, therefore lowering the risks. What I took away from this presentation is that Windows Phone, as it related to Windows 10, was always a secondary or tertiary point when they were bringing it up. Windows 10 will be amazing on desktop. It'll be amazing on mm-hmm. two-in-one hybrid tablets. Oh, yeah, and it'll also work on phones. That's really what I took away from this, yeah. is that they're saying everything will work really well, but we're not really going to take much... Like, we're not going to care a lot about the phones because we know that, A, we are the only OEM now that is putting any effort into this with the Lumia line, and B, nobody buys Windows phones unless they're really cheap and in developing yeah. markets. So, so the streamlining yeah. lets them deprioritize mobile by making right. it easier to just, like, be part of just Windows. Um, although, you know, I've, with some some things, like, part of this is all... The, the better connectivity between, like, core Microsoft functionality, like, with, like, uh, OneDrive and all that stuff makes it easier to be a Windows phone user because uh, there's, like, there's that now Google level of network benefits where everything plays really nicely with each other. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's, you know, mobile's, instead of mobile being a really big priority, it's it's just part of the the broader priority. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't think we can underestimate the draw, the, the marketing draw of products like Office, like Outlook, uh, like OneNote and OneDrive, right? Mm-hmm. People are invested in these Microsoft products as much as they are in Windows itself. And I was, you know, I read the, artic- the, the comments both in our um, Dropbox for Windows Phone post and Windows Central's Dropbox for Windows Phone post, which made, you know, which had like hundreds of comments and people were saying, oh, you know, I was going to use Dropbox, but I gave up a long time ago because Microsoft's been putting so many resources into OneDrive, mm-hmm. and it's such a great product now. And not only that, it works on iOS and Android and Mac and PC, so there's really no reason not to. And I think Microsoft realizes that Windows 10 is really the biggest upgrade for tablet and PC and, and desktop users, and any tertiary benefits to Windows phone users is, is just you know, an added bonus. But right. Microsoft is still going to focus on iOS and Android because that's where the majority of their mobile users are using their service, their services. Yeah. Um, and I, I know I, something that draw, you know came to mind just now is sort of this is the reverse of how Apple's been approaching the Mac App Store because Mac the Mac App Store is full of apps that you see on the iOS App Store. Mm-hmm. Right today, AnyDo, which is a really well known. Uh, to uh, to do list and, and man, task manager debuted on on Mac about two years after the iOS app came out. And if you look at the best apps uh, available on the Mac, the native ones that have been built specifically for Yosemite, most of them debuted on iOS, mm-hmm. either as i as iPad or iPhone apps. And you think, okay, well, if Microsoft is making it easier for developers to create great experiences for the phone using the universal app system, it's not the same 
as it is on the Mac App Store, but because there's a lot of shared code there, developers are incentivized just to take their iOS code and transfer it to the Mac and hope that they make a bit of money from that. Yeah, well, there's also there's also a strong history of iOS developers being comfortable with giving up 30% to Apple for sales versus traditional Mac developers who would rather sell directly and keep all the revenue. Um, true. So that's, that's a component there. Um, yeah. That's true, too. But, I mean, a lot of great apps um, are available on both, yeah. right? That You can buy them Apple take free from the website or you can buy it through the app store they don't really mind Mm. Uh, so yeah i mean windows 10 i i think is going to be a really interesting product i'm going to download it for uh, my surface 3 next week uh, when it comes out for the windows insider program and the uh, windows 10 for phones insider program is going to launch at the beginning of february which is going to be really cool do you think so, that will? You think just to go back to you said that they didn't really talk at all a, a lot about mobile and it seemed kind of like secondary. Do you think that that's because they're saving all the mobile goodness for MWC? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just not built far enough that they can show off a lot. So whatever they talked about was desktop focused. Well, you also uh, probably they, want to time it too with carrier partner announcements, right? Like yeah. I, I mean, Lumia Denim isn't even available for most phones yet, mm. so. Never mind whatever Windows 10 is going to be called. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, let, let's let's come back to this uh, next week and, and perhaps at, at MWC. But let's transition to uh, John Chen. Is he crazy? Yes, no. Yes. No, it's... Okay. Totally full <laughs> of it. No, it's... I saw uh, the best comment, the best comment um, on, on TechCrunch to the best response that I've seen. <laughs> to um to this this whole thing and i'm only gonna say it because daniel's already broken the seal but it just says fuck you oh my god <laughs> and it seems like everyone yeah that's generally everybody's opinion is just like the gall like that's like not only is he not so naive but like no okay so here's also what how is. dare you it's a crazy thing to say and we're doing obviously a tete-a-tete about this because there was there was a lot of <laughs> conversing in the mobile syrup team slack about this and in person in the in the meat space but it's 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 crazy for two reasons either a you actually believe that Mm. which is ridiculous um because there's a huge difference between uh embedded uh partners and distributors of of content restricting your access to content for them to make more money and people who just make stuff deciding what platforms they exist on based upon their own business conditions like whether it's cost effective to do so um and then b it's crazy if you realize that that's a ridiculous argument but you're just trying to position yourself or raise awareness in this platform play like you you write a letter to the u.s senate hoping that it, it, it starts a debate. But this is something that you haven't previously talked about, haven't kind of like explained the background thinking behind it or seeded like any sort of narrative that might get people to, oh, I kind of understand where he's coming from. I see this perspective. This might make sense. You just kind of dropped it down there. So the initial reaction to what you're saying is going to be just 
what it has been. People just being like, you're ridiculous. So not only is the idea wrong, I believe, the way that they handled messaging that is also terribly ineffective. Someone needs to tell them what discrimination means because... <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between discriminating and discrimination. And choice. <laughs> so if anybody's not familiar with what Doug's talking about here, John Chen posted something, a really long scribe on the Inside BlackBerry blog on Wednesday, where he said that BlackBerry disagrees with net neutralities or with the current uh, route of... Cl- reclassification of telecommunications companies uh, under Title II in the U.S., which would basically make them common carriers, which would prevent them from uh, creating fast lanes for different types of bandwidth. A lot of this stuff has been going on for years in the U.S. space and to a lesser extent in Canada. And Tom Wheeler, who's the uh, chairman of the FCC, has said that he's not going to be, he's not going to shy away from enforcing Title II if companies like Comcast or Verizon, who have made overtures about creating these fast lanes for different kinds of traffic, uh, maintain that uh, point of view. So he's come out and said, okay, we don't need Title II. What we need is something called C-block rules. And C-block rules basically say uh, these were rules uh, that were created under a 2008 Spectrum auction where Verizon bidded on, uh, bid on a, a bunch of spectrum in the C block of that particular um, uh, spectrum auction. And these rules were created to prevent whoever bought that, uh, that spectrum from denying interoperability between networks mm-hmm. and between services. So he's basically saying, instead of cracking down on these carriers to enforce Title II, be a little bit more lenient on them, but don't prevent them from, say, unlocking their phones or from not using particular services. So if Verizon has a partnership with Spotify, it would be illegal for them to prevent you from using RDO. Something like that. Um, but then he went on to talk about how instead of enforcing net neutrality, they should force content neutrality, which is doing a disservice to BlackBerry because Netflix, for, for example, does not have a BlackBerry 10 app or Apple doesn't allow iMessage to be used on Android, Windows Phone, and BlackBerry 10. It's a ridiculous, myopic argument. But there are traces of truth there, and we'll get to that in the tete-a-tete. But Doug is not wrong. It is bonkers what he's proposed. so mad. He's like, so mad. Yes. Even, like, even just the, the idea that like doing this, you could believe it. It could be right. The way that they handle this engenders... No goodwill. Like, do you think that any of the... No, and that's, that's why people are so annoyed. Like, people are so angry because it's like... It is. It's like, it's... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> they just do it so... to themselves sometimes. Like, they don't they need do. to be tied into this. <laughs> like... And it looks so bad for... The, that the CEO of BlackBerry thinks this way. And it's so American. And it's that so nobody, American. nobody said, hang on a minute. If you, if we do this, you will look as mad as a bag of spiders. Like maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> Is that an Irish term? It's it's a patented Granny Mac uh, term. But yeah, Daniel, what do you mean by it's so American? Well, he's he's so American in this argument. I mean, he's saying 
BlackBerry is uniquely positioned to comment on these issues because we are a Canadian company offering service to customers in more than 150 countries. So he has what he's saying is that they have really no skin in the game, either way. Which except is, they have enormous amounts of skin. It's in total the game. BS. They have hanging yeah. fat person skin. Yeah, in the yeah. Game. <laughs> they're like yeah. Sorry. Yes. It's. I mean, what 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 it means though is that he is trying to make an argument not that carriers shouldn't be held accountable, but that service providers and platform controllers like Apple, Google, and Samsung, and companies that have huge customer bases like, say, Dropbox or Evernote, should be required to not leave out any... Well, what was his? Ecosystem. I wonder what his position on like smaller apps, like startups that are launching, like that don't have the money for a developer for every platform, or can't afford one like freaking power developer who can develop for all platforms. Like, what what's his? So it's a solution that once you get past a certain number of users, you have to, or once you once your revenue is higher than X. Well, there's I don't, the problem. That's part of the problem is that he's he's just dropped this this stone in the water without any of the follow-up details and now this is an excerpt or um taken and uh recontextualized from a letter to the u.s senate commission um so there might be more detailed information but that's that's the problem because then what would be the legal criteria to decide at what point you you know like if we had a mobile app for our news versus netflix there's right now there's no distinction or something like the score He's, he's yeah. tr- attempting to redefine neutrality because there right now is app and content neutrality uh, as enforced distribution. Yeah. So, well, oh. I mean, I think it's less about asking the Senate and in, you know, in turn the FCC to start regulating app and uh, content creators. I think it's him trying to market BlackBerry as what he says an application a company that stands behind application and content neutrality um, by forcing them to do something they don't hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Want to do? No, I, I think he's just trying to bring attention to the fact. I think it's a very selfish move what he's done. But it's interesting because what he's saying is that under my rule or under my, um, you know, advisement blackberry has become a company bent on creating an app and content neutral ecosystem for our own products and he points to bbm and bez 12 being content and and platform neutral because they work on everything but they That's don't great. because uh, but, sorry go ahead i mean they they do to some extent because they work on ios android windows phone and blackberry but they don't work on tizen they don't work on on whatever total other op- fire firefox os right yeah. like he's also giving this mandate a fairly narrow yeah uh, i mean even though those four ecosystems account for 99.98 percent of the smartphones sold in the world they still 
don't account for all of them. So if he's going to be arguing for something like this, he has to stand behind these, these new entrants like Firefox OS that would also benefit from content and app, and, and app neutrality. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and honestly, like a service or application like BBM would be amazing for, for emerging operating systems. They would do very well in it, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of what he's saying is that a lot of these services should be built on web standards that could be deployed on any device that supports HTML5 and JavaScript. Um, you know, if BBM had a mobile web version that you could log into from any device anywhere in the world using your username and password, I think that would be key. Uh, but it doesn't. So, and because it, it, it can't because the security protocols necessary to run a service like BBM wouldn't work under the open standards of HTML5 and JavaScript. So, you know, he's shooting himself in the foot by suggesting stuff like this. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, we don't have anything to add other than, other than it's crazy. And I think, <laughs> like you said, that he said, you know, he was like, oh, we're in 150 countries, we're Canadian, we don't have any skin in the game. But all of, most of it, centered around the fact that BlackBerry needs more apps and if everyone else is forced to develop for BlackBerry, BlackBerry could be so much better. Except, yeah. That's, but yeah, so that's what's, the, I think the most frustrating thing about this is it gains them nothing. And it's, oh. it, it not only calls back this legacy issue that they've had um, with with a hubris <laughs> that is much more in line with their former co-CEOs, um, it actually takes attention away from the real stuff that they're doing right now, which is viable. It, it puts the focus on I agree. I agree. The, the, the weaknesses of their platform based upon no one being interested in their hardware versus the cool stuff that they're doing with their distributed services, much in the same way that Microsoft is doing. Like... Absolutely. You right. don't see Microsoft complaining I mean, it's, that it's, people aren't like or like trying to enforce. They're just going where their customer is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely right. And BlackBerry, I mean, the whole thing around and we haven't discussed this at all, uh, and we maybe should, but you know, the whole undertaking of Samsung to, you know, potentially buying BlackBerry is about buying those proprietary pieces of intellectual property that nobody else owns. Mm -hmm. Part of BlackBerry's, um, you know, part of BlackBerry's future, it's it's, it's very prop, prospect for for growth and success going forward. Is that it owns so many of these patents that companies and businesses and governments and institutions rely on. Yeah, and I see. Why do you open those patents up? Make those friend and and and, yeah. and see. You know, everybody benefit from them. At CES, didn't I? I don't know if. If you remember this, but when we were listening to John Chen talk during BlackBerry's announcement about the passport and Internet of Things and all that kind of stuff, he said that the most valuable thing that he's inherited from the company, he said in the 30 years, is its technology and, you know, its vast patent portfolio. Oh, my God. Just just thinking about this is... <laughs> It makes me so upset. So He's even he such is a said, hypocrite. No, I just think it's, it's, it's really his first major misstep because, it, it like, honestly, it... Chen has been working so hard and everything that he's been doing has been to change the perception of BlackBerry as uh, from this like legacy early 2000s, late 90s dinosaur that, that was for business people that couldn't keep up and wasn't a technology company to being something 
something that can compete and is doing, you know, we're looking at the future with IoT and things like that. You know, Qnix is everywhere. And it, it makes them seem so completely out of touch with not only the the technical realities, but the business realities of what the internet is. Mm-hmm. And it's sad too because it makes them look super pathetic. Because, like you said, they've they've come out so strong in the last year, year two years, with Internet of Things and QNX, and basically saying, you know, we're not trying to make you know the most cons- like the most attractive smartphone to consumers. Our, our strengths lie elsewhere. Like we're not about bringing you the same experience that Apple or Android gives you in a phone. We're about you know we're about something bigger than that. And mm-hmm. then by saying like, oh, can't you just force them to make apps for our platform? It makes them look like they're still really, really like butthurt about it and still trying to figure out ways to make it happen without having to make it happen. Like it's sad. It that makes it them look be, really that it should desperate. be legislated, that it should be a point Yeah, it of makes law. them look really like they went from like they gave it the old college try and it didn't really work out and the app gap was too too vast and, and they basically I have I feel have, have given the impression that their their strengths lie elsewhere and, and that's what they're gonna focus on. And then this just makes them look super, super desperate. Well, on the on the flip side, um, <laughs> you know, let, let's talk a, a second about the Samsung, uh, potential Samsung buyout, because that kind of came out of nowhere last week. And uh, Claire Bronnell from the Financial Post, even though BlackBerry and Samsung have denied it, claimed that Samsung has taken up um, with a New York-based law firm to pursue not necessarily buying the entire company, but part of the company or um, creating a more cemented partnership with BlackBerry. Uh, This is really interesting because Samsung needs, I think, BlackBerry more than BlackBerry needs Samsung at this point. Mm. Um, You know, BlackBerry's IP is important to Samsung's future as... Uh, as as a competitor to Apple in the enterprise space, yeah, for sure. Do you really so, think more? More what? Like BlackBerry needs devices to run its enterprise services so it can make money, and it can't produce those devices on its own. Samsung, even if it can't expand or fully differentiate, is still the biggest Android. And the only yeah, profitable but, Android handset maker, like yeah, but BlackBerry makes really nice hardware. Like you saying that they can't produce those devices on their own. Like no, they I know that. But, like they but, know that BlackBerry would never make an Android phone. But like the problem is that they they need Android. If that, that's what you're saying, like they don't need devices. They need Android devices. Yeah, sorry, I don't mean devices as in BlackBerry devices. I mean any device running or aligned to Bez twelve, right? Yeah, and they BlackBerry can't do it on their own because. No one wants to specifically buy BlackBerry devices for those services. So they need, they need, they need people using other platforms' devices to be interested in their services that they can either charge for at the enterprise level or, uh, or at, the, at the corporate level or with an OEM partner. So I think BlackBerry has a greater need, if they're going to grow and be profitable, for some sort of ingrained relationship with you know, the biggest Android manufacturer than Samsung needs to really... Like, Samsung, this might be really great for them to compete and to expand in the enterprise market and to protect against encroachment, but they're a profitable company. BlackBerry isn't. Not yet. 
But I mean, the difference between profit and profit is that BlackBerry may earn $20 million in net income next quarter. Samsung will still earn $3.7 billion in net income next quarter, which may be down slightly from the previous quarter, but it's still $3.7 billion. So I agree with you that BlackBerry still needs Samsung, but I don't think that BlackBerry's priority is hardware anymore. I think it happens to make a couple smartphones that happen to sell in you know in, in decent quantities for a company like BlackBerry, but Samsung's benefit of owning the patents that BlackBerry has has basically been hoarding for the last fifteen years would outweigh BlackBerry's ability to build a classic two or a Passport two with Samsung components because the vertical because the upstream vertical costs are going to be considerably less when you own the entire um, you know manufacturing process. Okay, but yeah, so I think I think we're in agreement here. I'm not saying that like I'm saying because BlackBerry is in a hardware company more they need this even more because they need some way they need they need distribution for their the thing that they make money on which is their enterprise services. So if that comes through yeah, a handset the- maker integrating them. I, I so and with the patents, I'm not sure they're necessarily hardware patents. Um, like in terms of like building cool devices, I think it relates to like security protocols and things like that, which would be uh, which would enable. Because like the BlackBerry system, like it's it's closed network running through the the Knox is what differentiates it, right? I don't think Samsung really needs any patents for you know, keyboards or something. Or maybe they do. Maybe this is just a way for them to not have to license it. No, I, I agree with you. I don't think the important patents to Samsung would be those hardware ones. I think I am talking about the software and, and, and not, you know, intellectual, um, the, the infrastructure patents. But I just mean that Samsung devices work with Bez 12 today. BlackBerry could sell itself as a Samsung partner without having any stock invested in the company because they because a, a to blackberry an iphone is a is a galaxy is a windows phone is a blackberry right. 10 device yeah. right to to them it's all the same when it comes down to bez 12 it's just a different pricing tier mm. well there's the integration opportunities there's like a difference between like compatible with and works with and then works really well and i would i would think that even though blackberry's messaging around bez 12 is that um any device managed by Bez 12 has an additional layer of protection around it that they normally wouldn't, that only BlackBerry can provide. I would still, I would think that BlackBerry would still say that its own, its own hardware has an, an even more greater level of security. So if, if BlackBerry could offer, say, Samsung devices something beyond what even any other Bez 12 managed device could have, then that's then that's a significant thing. And maybe that relates to, um, like, specific uh, government work. Like, BlackBerry always makes uh, a lot of hay about the the levels of certification that they get within governments that most devices don't have. Um, and, you know, other, other types of certification around security that might be able to extend to a device manufacturer that kind of deeply integrates rather than just has like a layer over top. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not going to change. And I think Samsung would benefit from that, but who knows? So I think uh, at this point, there's nothing set in stone. 
there are documents that indicate Samsung has or at least continues to uh, look at an investment in BlackBerry. This will probably stay fluid for the next few months. I don't think anything's going to happen. And especially because BlackBerry is a Canadian company, the government would have to approve the purchase. And uh, they may not. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, just because just because um, Samsung has hired someone to kind of investigate the ramifications and maybe pitch potential for why this partnership would be beneficial doesn't mean that there's been any heat or detailed conversation at the like the CEO level of actually this happening. Yeah. It means that you know, like Samsung's doing due diligence to see strategically where they should be going next. That doesn't mean that BlackBerry has any interest. Although I would I would say, you know, if you had asked us a year ago, would BlackBerry and Samsung be partnering the way that they, they already have, given their history, you would have said no. So things things change. Well, I mean, the other thing that they could do, and I, I have no idea if this is even in the cards, is to um, is to uh, initiate a hostile takeover mm-hmm. because it is a public company. They could yeah. force the board to to agree to the terms, and um, they could potentially take them over. I, I mean, again, I'm not as familiar with this process as I'd like to be, so correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. I but, think that uh, would still require like uh, a government approval yeah absolutely but i mean even if john chen doesn't want it to happen uh it's not really up to him at the end of the day right well most people who track blackberry um are operating under the assumption that <laughs> james just playing james. with the headphones no Come i'm on. listening i can't see you guys that like looking around my mic <laughs> no i know but you keep touching your headphones oh sorry we can hear it uh <laughs> Uh, so uh, yeah, the, most people who track BlackBerry operate under the assumption that for the past year, Chen has been proceeding along a plan that ends in a sale of BlackBerry, like, and that some of the people that he's been bringing in, uh, longtime former employees or coworkers, is part of a part of a pitch to say I'll, I will bring in this A level talent that I know under the assumption that I'm setting them up. Uh, correctly for a blackberry sale um now that might just be sour grapes from yeah people in the canadian tech community who have kind of been pushed out because blackberry continues to be less and less a canadian company um the more chen grows it and changes it but uh i don't think i don't think a sale or an acquisition or a, a merger is outside of their direct realm of possibility yeah, and so we'll we'll keep uh, following this story because I think it's really interesting. Um, and let's let's kind of shift gears a little because we've talked a lot about the enterprise uh, for the last hour. We've talked a lot about Windows. Let's talk about Android. Um, MWC is coming up in the next um, month. It starts on March second, and we do know that at least one OEM will be releasing a new device. HTC has talked about their latest flagship. We don't think it's going to be called the 1M9. I'm pretty sure about that. But we'll just call it the new HTC One for propriety's sake. What we've seen so far makes the device look a whole lot like the HTC One M8. Uh, It's got that same unibody aluminum design. It looks a little bit thinner. Mm -hmm. They've moved the power button to the right side, which I love and Jane hates. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's uh, that's what we know. We know that it's going to be... On the top. On the top. top. Mm. So they so 
the history of the HC1 power buttons is, is um, a storied one. They <laughs> had the power button on the right top for the HC1 uh, 1X. The, 1M, the, the 1M7, which was the successor to that, was on the left side. Uh, but it was a smaller device, so it wasn't that difficult to reach. Then they brought it back to the right side for the uh, the 1M8. And now it appears that the device didn't... Re- it was too tall, I think, for the power button being on the top right. And I think that they're shifting it down to the to the side um, in line with most of the other OEMs in the industry. So aside from that, it's going to have a Snapdragon 810. It's going to have a 5-inch 1080p display, 3 gigs of RAM... 2800 milliamp hour battery i think i think yeah, i don't think that's set in stone yeah and uh, a 20.7 me- megapixel rear camera so goodbye ultra pixel uh Jane, what do you think i don't know i think it's funny they're giving up on ultra pixel like so fast so sad um i don't know I, I i saw a really interesting theory on one of the android blogs i think it might have been android authority or android police and they said that the pictures of it with like a the power button on the side could be what's known as a fake ID, which is when they put all the goodness and innards of the new phone in um, a kind of a, a stand-in yeah. body, like just a random mm. shell. That's yeah. not that's not the and we the HTC has done that before, so it's yeah. possible that it won't look identical to the HTC One M8, but it will look like something different, yeah. and we're just being played. Well, played or well, it just allows them to iterate quickly. But but it, even in those photos, though, it looked, you know, it wasn't just a standard 1M8 shell. No, it there was, was like smaller thinner. bezels. Yeah, um, yeah power button was in a different place. Like it was a different phone. Yeah. But, but, that's, but that's why they call it a fake ID and not like, hey, this is like a HTC 1M8 with like upgraded in- internals. It's like they well, went to the effort of creating something fake for it. Yeah, and Samsung did that with the Galaxy S3. Remember, we yeah. thought we thought that it was going to look completely different, and they had basically taken this boxy chassis and put all the good stuff in it, so that when it did leak, people didn't really know what the end product would look like. And I think that's more and more important these days, as the mm. um, as, as leaks become more damaging. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is going to be a big device for HTC. They're also rumored to be launching an Android Wear smartwatch. They are delving into the smart home space after their first uh, their, their first product outside of the smartphone ecosystem with the Re camera back in September, October? November. October, I think. I can't remember. And uh, that was a decent little product, and uh, there are some problems with it, but I think they have um, they have some good potential. They're on they're on the upswing. Yeah, and they and just I, they I'm really looking that, forward to it. That Under Armour partnership at CES they said they're going to be developing a line of products um, for Under Armour that incorporate mm. the, the Under Armour fitness um, fitness network into it. Because Under Armour has their own like social network for people who work out and people who train people who work out. Yeah, that could be... That people could be that we don't know. <laughs> like, that could be, a, like, a but, legit... Um, yeah, so there's, like... I, I, I wrote a post about it this morning about how they're doing... Um, that they're apparently there's talk now that their their smartwatch for MWC is not going to be a smartwatch but a fitness band and it's going to be the first Under Armour collaboration. But all rumors. The only thing that they they haven't really talked. Have they confirmed that they're doing the next flagship at MWC or have they just confirmed that they're doing a product? Well, I think 
when they they release uh, a little marketing blurb that says Utopia in progress, <laughs> I highly doubt it'll just be a smart band. No, I mean, um, I, no, I'm saying that the phone is the only thing that they've confirmed so far, so it could be everything else is still just rumors. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's no question that there's going to be more than one thing. I mean, yeah. there have even been rumors that there's going to be a one and then a one plus something, mm. uh, you know, or a one M nine plus yeah. that could have a, a higher resolution screen, mm. a little bit more of like a one max successor yeah. um, to go ahead, to go head to head with the iPhone six plus. So there's lots of potential here and I, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised whatever they do. What do we it want them to, be, to do? Like, what do we, like, we were all pretty positive on the one M eight, despite mm-hmm. it's uh, a few, a few issues like do we do we want just like a better newer with a you know like if if they fix the camera is that like the go to android phone for me absolutely if they don't screw up the camera again and they keep the battery life in line with what they did last year i think they have got a hit on their hands so uh, it needs to not to feel like a bar of soap i need to not drop it every 6 seconds that's true too it was really slippery um but i I also think yours, you have the T-Mobile version. I think yours ended up being more slippery than the Canadian versions for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what was I did. I did get the, the peeling letters on the back of mine. Apparently that was yeah. exclusive to the US. That feature exactly. did not come to Canada. Yeah, you get you got some bad luck with, like, peel on your phone. I know. When you get them. Can you guys just stop, like, laser etching logos and then filling them with stickers? Because those stickers don't stay in place. Yeah, but cheap. Yeah. Well, I, 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 is... I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying, I looked online about it. It happened to quite a few people in the States. And people were like, I don't know why they use these stickers. Why would I just took all mine off. Once they started to peel, I took them off. But then they found out that the, the letters, like the recessed lettering, just got filled with crud. Yeah. Like mm. pocket crud and food crud mm. and Gunk. finger crud. That's why I yeah. prefer my smartphones to be $999 with premium materials in limited capacity or quantity oh yeah one of 50 in the world we are of course <laughs> talking about the blackberry passport limited edition the, the gold and black version that the company announced earlier this week the drake knight model yeah the the one third of the cost drake knight model yeah <laughs> or more than one third so this sold out really really fast like really within minutes of, of it being announced but uh, that's understandable because as esoteric as BlackBerry devices have become, there are still many people willing to spend a grand on the latest hotness, especially since Drake now endorses it. So enjoy your limited edition BlackBerry Passport in black and gold. Do you think you he got one? one? We're sure you're very happy together. Um, do you think he got one? I think he, he probably he got like Drake? some fancy gate, like like gold, like limited edition Drake version that they only made one. Just I'm sure of it. Ovo, just with the, the owl on it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, oh, yeah, he sure. probably got just like a solid gold passport. Yeah. So, what else is happening at MWC? We, we sort of know of a Samsung flagship. Yeah, uh, it's just a given. Galaxy at this point. S6 may be announced, probably will be announced, definitely will be announced, who knows. But uh, one thing we've heard over and over again is that the company is doing away with the removable back cover, mm. instead going with a, a metal frame and a glass back. I don't think it'll look like the Nexus 4, um, which had a glass back as well, but I wouldn't be surprised if Samsung does a lot of things differently with the Galaxy S6. Uh, Jane, you've reported on this a lot. 
Hmm. This one's from scratch, from the ground up. They swear it's gonna be different. I don't know. Um. Honestly, I would be happy with just like a smaller version of the Note 4. That's a gorgeous device. Mm. Like, why didn't they just do that the last time? I don't know. And that, that, that's well, one of the things that when I was working on the list of like Android um, lollipop updates, and I was like combing through all the rumors online and what's been confirmed and what hasn't. And I think it came out of Samsung Denmark, I think, so that they're going to upgrade that. We were talking before about how the Note 4 is kind of like the new flagship for Samsung. Because, like, in terms of just like public perception i guess but mm. um yeah they were saying that basically the s5 is getting lollipop before everything else because of its flagship status which is funny um but yeah no i think that if they just made it look like the note 4 be super happy they don't have to make a glass they don't have to make it they don't have to like go to all this trouble to do like an integrated battery just so they can make it like thinner and sexier well how much how much is it going to be like the alpha or like follow the alpha kind probably of quite a bit I would think. I well, think yeah. So when you said I just wanted a smaller Note Four, my fo- my first thought was, well, that was pretty much the Alpha. Yeah. Uh, the Alpha was yeah, a beautiful, heart piece of hardware. It was gorgeous, but we, our problem our problem with the Alpha was never the hardware. And, well, it was like the camera was. What What did you think, Doug? You reviewed it. What did the, you not so like the about camera it? was the camera was decent, but I came into it with like mediated ex- expectations because of the price point. So yeah. it wasn't flagship quality, and and for the love of God, the screen certainly wasn't. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm a bitter, I'm never... a bit of a hater on on a, on a bad screen, but um, yeah, it's it, they could easily make a, a premium alpha that uh, felt as premium as the the previous version, but with more expensive components, and then yeah. slap a slap an S on it, and then we're good to go. I think there's no question that's what the Galaxy S6 is going to be. They've already discontinued the Alpha. They replaced it with the A-Line, the A3, A5, A7. They don't seem like they'll come to Canada, but I do think if the Galaxy S6 is a bigger Alpha and a smaller Note 4 plus a bunch of other stuff, there have been rumors that there will be an an, an iPhone 6-like uh, touch sensor on there. Oh, lots yeah. of yeah. If we took lots all of the rumors, under the hood. man, that device, it's going to be a smaller but bigger version of the note 4 and galaxy alpha it's gonna have the edges of the galaxy note edge it's gonna have the, <laughs> like the fingerprint sensor of the iphone um what else have we got a glass that's, back that's a pretty sexy phone though like that's yeah a... <laughs> well i don't know those edges i don't know if i want them i i i well if it's not the size of a note 4 like if it's if it's bigger than it's more the alpha then that's something compelling like if it's iphone 6 ish size um, but I, I have a prediction. I have a. I think that Samsung, prior to MWC, is going to tease a lot of ties and stuff, and then there's going to be <laughs> uh, disappointing cancellations and pushback on ties and news. <laughs> no, they've already released the device. They released that phone. Nobody wants it. No, no, I think that's not true. They're, no, they can't. They can't go to Barcelona without saying that there's going to be something involving ties and happening. Yeah, the thing then, involving ties and will be that absolutely amazing sounding round smartwatch that they're going to say mm-hmm. oh and by the way you have to buy one of our phones because that yeah. watch sounds awesome so a year ago they released the note the uh gear 2 gear 2 neo and gear fit at mwc alongside the I- the the iphone 5 the yeah. galaxy s5 <laughs> and uh this year should be no different they're going to release probably six different smartwatches <laughs> two variants well that's of the what they note, have uh, to they released three last year and doubled their smartwatch portfolio so now they have to release six more because they gotta exactly keep, they gotta keep up momentum 
<laughs> yep, it's exponential. Every yeah. year they're going to be uh, eventually Double. it's going to be 144,000 smartwatches released every year by Samsung. Yeah. Um, Economies of scale. The other man. thing that his well, it's a good scale. Let's hope that they can keep it up. Um, let's uh, talk about another rumor from the Galaxy S6 is the scaling back of TouchWiz. And um, I don't believe this. I think that, you know, Samsung's talked about scaling back their, their uh, touch whizziness uh, mm-hmm. for years now. But I just think that with Lollipop, inherently things will be scaled back because yeah. there's such a uniform design men- um, mentality around uh, stock Lollipop is that it's so easy to adapt it to whatever you're working on. So we've seen screenshots of it on the uh, on TouchWiz, on Sense, on the uh, LG devices. They all have their own sort of OEM-specific design touches, but by and large, it feels like a more uniform version of Android that you'd find on the on a Nexus well, device. Well, they, they, they had de-whizzed fairly significantly with the S5 yeah. and the Alpha, right? So we think yeah. it, when, when you're talking TouchWiz here, do you think it's more like UI components or maybe some of those core applications like are they still committed to their health application? Like, yeah. Well, I they've mean, already th- they've already like taken steps to kind of cut down on the the apps, their app efforts, like with mm-hmm. WeChat and <laughs> I don't know what was that WeWatch thing. Like, they've I taken a, they've taken a lot of steps forward and a lot of step backward on their commitments and. Um, yeah, but uh, like you say, you know, I think the one of the reasons that a lot of these companies have like kind of reined their reined their UIs in a bit is because. When Android launched, it didn't really have a UI. It was basically like the DOS version of a smartphone um, mm-hmm. operating system. It was so bare bones that they were like, "Hey, we'll just slap a couple coats of paint on it and ship it out." And now that black, or now that Android looks really nice, it's like, and like you say, there's just there's such strong design elements that are are so consistent across Android that they can't really do that anymore. Yeah, and Sam Mobile has a really good overview of this. Uh, they have an article called TouchWiz Finally Looks Good Thanks to Google, where they've <laughs> compared Android 4.4.4 on TouchWiz versus the leaked versions of Android 5.0.1 on TouchWiz. And the differences are subtle. It's a, you know, the, they're a little bit lighter. The, they use some lighter colorings. They use uh, a more googly font. So the typography <laughs> on, on Lollipop is, is really important because... Samsung's always used their own font, and it's been awful. Oh. You know, I prefer Roboto, and uh, they've changed it with Android 5, and it looks a whole lot better. But also, they've taken advantage of a few Lollipop-specific features. They've cleaned up some of the uh, icon designs. They've removed mm-hmm. some of the drop shadows. Things that just felt very dated uh, on KitKat now look a lot cleaner and flatter with uh, more purposeful... And I, we haven't seen the animations yet. So that's another big part of material design. But just in terms of looking at the differences between KitKat and Lollipop, Samsung's doing a good job cleaning up the the, the more fine points of the UI. Mm. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Wouldn't it be yeah. awesome if they just released the S6 and it looked exactly like the S5? TouchWiz was the same. Well, it's been looking like that for two years. I mean, the S3 was the S4 was the S5. So yeah. Yeah, and I've I've never really I've never really gone for that. I think the you like Jane was totally right in that the note line has kind of become the new flagship. It's just it's just cooler. It looks different. It looks like them. It looks like Samsung. It, it's different from other phones. 
And I, I'd mm-hmm. rather see them pursue that. Like, yeah. do interesting stuff with the hardware. Give us, give us different reasons. Give us reasons to use your different phones. Give us use case. And then leave Android to the OS stuff. And then make a few bets on the specific apps that you want to support or enhance that. And, and then I think people are happy. Yeah, but of all the companies that could do that, Samsung is the one that's least likely to do that. Because they have their vested interests in their own ecosystems, right? They, they can't just continue being another OEM because they're not growing as quickly as they should be to make that profitable. And they have to make money in other ways. So they're investing in this milk music ecosystem, their milk video ecosystem. They've got a lot of stuff software-wise on the go. They just purchased a smart home company, Smart Things. Um, mm-hmm. They've been doing a lot of stuff with design at their uh, new Silicon Valley R&D labs. You know, they've got a lot of software stuff on the go because they have no choice. And you know, then there's Tizen. Tizen's a big part of their future strategy. They debuted a series of TVs that ran Tizen, which is crazy. I just no one company can build their own ecosystem. You have to you have to do things that bring Except others Apple. to it. But they didn't. Like their ecosystem depends upon all the other application makers and providers and all the the network effects that came with that. Like Samsung can't provide all their own content in the ecosystem. They can't be they can't be the you know the sandbox and the garden. No, absolutely. But uh they have they have to try to wean themselves off of Google's de- you know dependency or mm-hmm. depending on Google. So you know, this is a start. Tizen is their, it, it's it's their mark. They have to try. Um, so, lots of cool stuff. There's also rumors of a Sony flagship at MWC. LG may come out with another device, which is unlikely. People have been talking about the G4, but with the G Flex 2 so recently announced, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Huawei, Alcatel... ZTE, all these Chinese OEMs are probably going to announce a bunch of stuff at MWC as they do every year. Uh, because CES really wasn't a mobile-focused fo- mobile uh, show this year. It was very VR, gaming, auto, drones, yeah. smart stuff. Drones. It's like droid. Drones. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that as the weeks come. Uh, I will be going to MWC. It will be my first trip to Barcelona. Yeah, you will. I am going to cover myself in locks. Just everything will be locked. You can't... I've terrified Daniel with stories of getting mugged. Yeah, even though you've never gotten mugged, right? No, but only... There were several times where I was on the the subway, on the metro, and some well-meaning Spanish person has approached me and said, you should really watch your bag. And I'm like, I can't watch it anymore than I'm already watching it. Like I don't know, I don't know what their their motive is, but you'd be sitting there, and they'd come over, and they'd be like, "You should really keep an eye on your handbag." And I'm like, "It, I, two eyes on my handbag." Like, yeah, I think they mean like like a running back holding it like this <laughs> at all times. I th- I think Daniel, as long as you dress and carry yourself as a Catalonian, you should be fine, because they de- oh, yeah. they, mm-hmm. they definitely target. Um, I was told uh, late one night in a Canadian expat bar, um, right off La Rambla that. Uh, there are more Canadian passports stolen in Barcelona than any <laughs> other nationality because we you are guys very, um, I guess, naive 
the extent to which um, stuff will be juked. Or maybe we just don't recognize how foreign well, we look to other people. Yeah, it could be because there are lots of you and not a lot of Americans have passports. Well, they do now. It's a requirement to travel. That might have changed. You're right, but uh, not with. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. I think within the U.S. you can still travel on a driver's license within the U.S. Just your first day there. Just go to Zara. Just buy head to toe new wardrobe, um, and then you're fine. Done. Yeah, and like, Grow. don't bring your fanny pack. As much as it was a big help in Vegas, you should leave that guy at home. Yeah, oh, that, yeah. as a no, general operating pack. rule, let's let's say no fanny pack. Just for the record, I don't own a fanny pack. Yeah, it's true. Sure. Um, well, not not one that wasn't stolen in, in Vegas. Not one that came to Vegas. So we're going to round out the uh, the pod today talking about Win Mobile's rollout of Lollipop yesterday. Uh, this was a big mess up from the perspective of Motorola. They rolled out Lollipop Android 5.0.1 to what they say is a very small number of Wind customers. But uh, we heard differently. We heard that there were many, many hundreds, if not thousands, of Wind customers that had uh, complained of bricked phones upon upgrading. And Motorola did right by allowing them to replace their devices on the spot at any Wind store. They're going to pick up the tab, obviously. But this is a big deal. This is a problem with Android rollouts in general. Um, It happened with iOS 8.0.1. Obviously, we know all about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Apple then fixed it a couple days later but these are uh problems this is a problem with updates in general android has been uh uh, subject to these kinds of issues before because there are so many devices there's so many carrier specific changes that every piece of software has to uh, has to make um so i i really you know motorola's done well by its users um in terms of speeds of upgrades but uh, this is the reason that so tests exist. So everybody should hopefully be uh, on the up and up with their devices. But uh, we hope this stuff never happens again. Word. Um, word. So, any closing, any closing statements, guys? Any words of wisdom that you want to impart to our listeners? Um, I'll throw it over to Doug first. I just wanted to say that I think. We could, if the three of us, if Mobile Syrup made its own phone in whatever form that would take, I feel confident that we could sell out 50 units. Totally. <laughs> I thought you were going to say sell out. And I was like, I mean, come on. We can't even agree what, what, like, what OS that we like. <laughs> like, you just said that you want the S6 to have those, those crappy edges that I hate. Um, Do you hate the notes edges or the alphas edges? Because it's a very different ballgame. The edge. No, the edge's edges. Like, the note edge. Oh. Sorry. I misunderstood. I thought you were talking bezel. No, I don't want the note edge edges. Um, <laughs> so, yes. Okay. So, we would have to, we'd have to go into the workshop, into the laboratory, and produce yeah. a phone. I think that we could sell it uh, across I think Canada. we could sell 50 of them because our, like, our families would buy them. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe I that's what happened at BlackBerry. Phone. The syrup phone. would be really good. The syrup phone. The scissor bess. The maple phone. Mm. Maple phone. Mm. Well, I think uh, that about rounds it up for today, folks. Everybody across Canada and the U.S., thank you again for listening. Our last pod of we our really 20s. appreciate it. We are turning 30 
next week. We will be naked to celebrate. Yep. To tune into the video pod. Um, well, J- Jane will not be naked because we respect you. But uh, Douglas, <laughs> oh, and I will be whoa, naked. you don't respect me? My body's a temple. Oh no, <laughs> gonna be a whole lot of pale skin on that podcast. A whole lot of pale skin yeah. on that temple. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, because it's uh, it's important to protect that temple from all kinds of sun. Uh, that's that's our pod for this week. <laughs> Wear sunscreen. <laughs> Wear sunscreen. We will leave you that advice. Kyle Lee Lee SPF 50, even Kyle, in the winter. All star. Buy some vitamin D. Stay safe. Stay warm. Stay lovely. Stay healthy. So long. Everybody's free to wear a hologram. A hologram. Sorry. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.